0: This message was presented at the GYC 2010 No Turning Back Conference in Baltimore, Maryland. For other resources like this, visit us online at GYCweb.org.
1: We are thankful for life. We are thankful, Father, for the fact that We don't deserve to be here. We're unworthy. And our lives are filled with broken promises. Commitments made to you in this very place of prayer. That have been broken time and time again. And so we are praying, Lord, that through this man who is but dust in your sight. That you would teach us, Lord. How to maintain commitment to Jesus. How to know him. To encounter him. And yet to continue to have personal contact with Christ. As we leave this place. We thank you father for the opportunity and the privilege that it is to study your word. And now we pray for your Holy Spirit. That he would go from heart to heart and from mind to mind. Impressing upon the soul the truth. That it may have a sanctifying power over our lives is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me adjust this a little bit. Blowing out somebody's eardrums. It's a little better when I start talking, and you know I get loud sometimes, so. All right, Slaves of God. Our seminar is entitled Till I Die. We want to stay dedicated to Jesus till we die. And I made an appeal at GYC last year in my final morning devotional message that we would either finish Jesus' work in this generation or die trying. In order to do that, that means we must know the science of how to maintain the commitment to Christ. So I think from this particular seminar today, The attitude must first begin with a sense of, oh, even the devil doesn't Sabbath. It must first begin with an understanding of identity. So I want to start talking about slaves of God, a New Testament metaphor for total devotion to Christ. So now we live in a generation where there is a problem of commitment. Did you know that? You know, nowadays, when I was canvassing, um, I was knocking on some doors in a very rural, rural, rural area in Michigan. There was like two houses per street. There were more gnats on the street than there were homes. And I came to this one home, this couple that was from Germany. And as we began to dialogue, a man and a woman stepped out, and we began to talk about the books that I was sharing with them, and immediately... I thought, you know, trying to be a good canvasser, okay, so see what kind of relationship they have. Maybe this, these books would be good for family worship time as husband and wife. Now, I assumed. Immediately, they looked at me and they said, We're, we're not married. Oh, okay, so you guys are just, you know, interested in one another. I said, No, we're just partners. Partners. You know, I I think of partners as, you know, McDonald's partnered with Chipotle. You know, uh, GYC partnered with, you know, Amazing Facts College of Evangelism. (laughs) That's a partnership. But now there's this attitude and this mood, and and, and that was about seven years ago that I had that conversation. Now there's a mood in society that says, what's the point of just getting married? Now you have, uh, you know, Jada Pinkett and Will Smith have a open relationship. I want you to know Jesus doesn't want an open relationship with us. And as we understand that at the very heart of Christianity, at the very heart of what it means to follow Christ is commitment. In fact, commitment is the test of discipleship. We have a problem of commitment. We are a generation that likes options. We're afraid to commit to something because we don't, we're not sure if we may still want something else. We're going to talk about that tomorrow, the paradox of choice. Some of us think the more freedom I have, the happier I will be. Yet scientific studies have shown that the more options a person has, the less satisfied they are with the decision that they make. This is the devil's strategy with pluralism. Give you 50, 100 different kinds of Christianity to choose from. And people become so overwhelmed with choices. What is the argument you always hear? I can't believe there's just one way. Why, why do you say that uh, the, the Baptists are wrong or these people are wrong and churches are fighting churches and denominations are fighting denominations because we're a generation that likes options? You know, we like to have the option of getting wireless on our cell phone or not. I may not turn it on because it drains my battery. But I like to have the option. When I come to the hotel, I want to have the option of, you know, do you want two double beds or would you like just one large king-size bed? I just want to have the option. And we're obsessed with options. And as a result of that, that leads us into a state of paralysis and a fear of commitment. Because if I commit, I'm restricting my freedom later on. In business, we call this opportunity Cost. What word did I just say? Opportunity Opportunity cost. And an opportunity cost, it is a reminder in economics that as soon as you say yes to one thing, you've automatically lost the other. And so we say opportunity cost is what you could have had had you made a different choice. That was the cost of making this choice. So let's, let's, let's put this in the context that young people like to talk about relationships. As soon as you choose to get into a relationship with one person, the opportunity costs are all the other single women that still exist. Somebody said, have mercy. (laughs) Now, when you think about that, this is where some of us as guys were afraid to commit. Because what if we meet a girl who's a little prettier? What if we meet a girl who's a little more spiritual? What if we meet a a young lady that's a little more evangelistic? Uh, Maybe she's preached her own evangelistic series. And so we're like, oh, man, I made a choice too soon. You know, those are people who end up never getting married. And then by the time they get married, still not satisfied. Too many options. See, back in the day, we didn't have options. Amen. Amen. There weren't options. There was no internet dating. There wasn't this, you know, whatever the Adventist relationship website is, let's go on a singles cruise. It did not exist. So now while we're going to Bahamas, you know, she looks good with uh, Jamaica in the background and easy to fall in love on a tropical island. We have options. But it may be actually hurting us and thus leading us into a paralysis and a problem of commitment, even in marriage and relationships. Now you have people who, when they get married, it really doesn't mean much. I'm sure if I took a poll and a survey in this room, how many lives have been impacted by divorce? It would be more than half this room. And I want you to understand something. If you've ever been affected by divorce, my mother has been remarried three times. My father, twice. The breakdown as to why all that pain came into your life was simply a failure to maintain commitment. And you understand now why God hates divorce. God will never divorce you. I want to give you a quick snippet. When you look in the life of Jesus, there's one interesting fact that you find. Jesus never walks away from one person in the Gospels. Everyone who leaves Jesus, it's because they left him. The rich young ruler, Jesus, stood right there. It was he who went away sorrowful. The Pharisees came. Jesus didn't leave them. They walked away. The men who brought the woman caught in adultery, they walked away. Guess who stayed? The woman caught in adultery. Guess who was changed? The woman who stayed. the one who was willing to maintain commitment. As a result of this divorce rate, some of us, even in our early relationships, you know, you get people who are 13 years old, this guy was telling me, you know, I just broke up with my girlfriend. How old are you? <laughs> 13, and he's trying to tell me all the issues. You know, we, our communication was bad. Your communication? What do you have, an eighth grade vocabulary? <laughs> things just didn't work out. She said some things on Facebook I didn't like, and one thing led to another. And I'm sure those of us who are on Facebook understand what I'm talking about. Person makes a very bad comment. One person responds, and another person responds. And next thing you know, it went from three comments to 54. And it's an actual Facebook argument. And then it turns into a private messages, and that's when it gets really ugly. <laughs> help us, Lord. That's right. Thirteen years old, talking about communication problems, but really, what he's doing is he's practicing divorce. And I can tell you, not having grown up in the church, I understand. I was thirteen years old. Lord has to help me. I was dating this girl was sixteen. Don't ask any questions. (laughs) Just be thankful that the Lord found me. (laughs) And I'm 13 years old thinking, you know, I'm the coolest thing that ever happened to Chicago because my girlfriend is three years older than me. And she was about three feet taller than me too. (laughs) (laughs) But, But as I think about all the relationships I went through, Before finally becoming a Christian and recognizing the biblical understanding of marriage, which Ellen White says, when the divine principles are recognized and practiced in this relationship, marriage is a blessing. It restrains the evil of society. But when the devil has you growing up being trained to break commitments, get a girlfriend, why? Because she was cute, you liked her, whatever the case may be, and then all of a sudden when the real commitment comes in, can't hang. So you, you learned the lesson. I remember breaking up with, my, with a girlfriend when I was 19. And as we were talking on the phone, you know, conversation starts escalating, 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 and it came to the, that, that little awkward silence. Are you breaking up with me? And I remember thinking in my mind, I, I, I guess so. And she said, well, I don't understand why. And I said to her, Lord, forgive me. I said, I don't, I don't need a girlfriend for stress. This is a voluntary choice. So if I keep you in my life, and this is stressing me out, I'm bringing stress into my own life voluntarily. Now that's true. It's not kind or Christian, and I'm not endorsing it. Let me go on recording and say that. But at the time, that was the mentality. Commitments can be easily made and easily broken. This little picture I found, success seems to be largely a matter of hanging on after others have let go. See this little cat? You know, some of you like cats. I'm allergic. But (laughs) the picture suits the seminar. We find in the Christian life that it's not how you begin the Christian life. It's how you finish. We like to hear a powerful testimony, but it's not about how he started. It's how he finished. Matter of fact, it's if you finish. That's what this seminar is about. I think about it all the time. Sebastian, if, who cares if you have a powerful testimony? Who cares if this is how the Lord orchestrated things to bring you into the church if you don't make it to heaven? It only makes it greater, more sorrowful to think of the marvelous things that God has done in your life and you still don't make it. Because it's not how you start the Christian life. It's how you finish and if you finish. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 24. Sure. Matthew, chapter 24. Go ahead. When you're there, say amen. If you're not there, say have mercy. Can you guys hear me in the back? Yes, no, no, okay. It's going to adjust the volume. How's that? Can you hear me now? Yes, without any problems. Yes, no, no, yes. That's what I was thinking in my mind. (laughs) All right, check, check, check. Matthew chapter 24, Matthew, first book of the New Testament, 24th chapter, and these are some of the signs of the ends of time as noted by Jesus. So in Matthew chapter 24, and I I want you guys to look with me at something very interesting. The Bible says in verse 12, and because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Now, iniquity is a word that's used in the Bible to represent repeated intentional sinning. It's different than saying because sin abounds, not the same. Iniquity is a constant sinful life. This is like taking us back to the days of Noah, when every imagination of man's thoughts were only evil continually. That's iniquity. So he says, because iniquity shall abound... The love of many shall wax cold. That's an old English saying for saying grow cold. It'll eventually become cold. And that's true, is it not? The more people sin against you, the harder it is for you to love. I know, I I live in Boston. The first time I moved to Boston from Michigan, I was thinking, you know, used to my usual, hey, how are you doing on the streets of Boston? Oh, no. I'm walking down the street, you know, it was like I was visiting from a country town. And I was really moving into the city. And I saw a young lady walking down the street towards me in Cambridge. And I said, hello, how are you doing? And she just kept staring at me and kept walking. And I said, okay, how are you doing? Hope you have a great day. And she just kept staring at me like, why are you talking to me? (laughs) And I remember being so hurt. So I thought, you know, maybe it was just her. She was having a bad day. So I tried someone else on the bus in the subway. person just looked at me. Now, it's awkward when you're sitting on a subway. (laughs) You said, hello, how are you? The person does not respond and continues to look at you until your stop comes. (laughs) That's when the Lord wants to humble you and recognize this is not heaven. And why is it that this woman is so cold? Probably because in other times she greeted someone she wasn't treated too well. Maybe it's because when she moved to Boston, people did the same thing to her. And much of us, we live our lives out of a fear of pain. How do I avoid hurt? And so the Bible says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will grow cold. Notice what verse 13 says. It connects it to the previous verse. It says, but he that shall what? Endure. Endure. Unto the what? And the same shall be what? There is no one who will enter the pearly gates in the last days who did not grow in endurance. The ability to maintain commitment in spite of iniquitous abuse in a world that was lacking in love. Brothers and sisters, this verse removes every excuse. My mother was never there for me emotionally. No excuse. The same shall be seen. Sometimes we may have to endure a distant mother, an absent father, a brother and sister that is jealous, co-workers that aren't interested in our benefit, church members who gossip behind our backs and you still got to come to church. I go through it all the time. Many of you may want to come to my seminar, but there are individuals who (laughs) are, it's like a life mission to figure out how to destroy my ministry. We must understand, and that's not just me, that's many people here presenting at GYC. We live in a cold world. And the Bible says in the last days, the one quality that you find is the ability to endure. Those are the ones who will be saved. So the expectation of Jesus is that you're going to come to a time in earth's history which we believe, based on the signs here in Matthew 24, we're living in that time. So if it is the case that we're living in the time of these signs and these are the signs of the end, then we're living in a time where endurance becomes paramount. Something we must not only study, but practice. Something we must not only practice, but master. To know how to go through problems in life, difficulties, oppositions, perplexities, hatred, broken relationships, and say, Jesus, I'm still here tomorrow morning. Come to your local church, still here tomorrow morning, even though the pastor will not preach the truth, even though the people in Sabbath school voluntarily share their heresies with us. Go through it all the time. The boldness of a person to sit in a seven-day Adventist Sabbath school and say the things that people say. Who cares what Ellen White says? What church are we in? And the same lady who you're criticizing is the only reason why I'm not coming up in your face right now. Amen. (laughs) Endurance. And thus, my suspicion is because many of us have not studied and made it a priority to understand what's wrong with my ability to stay committed to Jesus. The word commitment is an obligation or duty that restricts, what's the last word? Freedom. Now if we're a generation obsessed with freedom, it would only make sense that uh, we're not too happy with the concept of commitment. We're not too happy with that. And so commitment as an obligation or a duty that restricts freedom, you know we use this word all the time. Maybe some of us don't use it formally. But they say, oh, you know, Mr. Braxton, um, we'd like you to come visit, you know, our ministry up in uh, Switzerland or whatever around December 29th, you know. What, what's, what's, your, what's your schedule looking like? I'm sorry, I already have some prior commitments. Something has already restricted my freedom. Guess what? Decision becomes real easy. Can't make it. Maybe next time. Do you have any other dates available? Are you with me? I want to tell you a story. Um, Actually, I'm going to save the story to the end. I just thought about it. I should probably wait. I'm sure you're all familiar with the statement, Steps to Christ, one of my favorite books in the spirit of prophecy. Top three, for sure. You desire to give yourself to him. Does that match anyone here today? But you are weak in moral power. In slavery to doubt, and controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. I know you're familiar with this statement. Every time I read this, I'm thinking, this must be inspired. Because right at the right time, when you're failing the Lord, you come back and read this statement. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts. You cannot control your impulses. You cannot control your affections. The knowledge of your broken promises and forfeited pledges weakens your confidence in your own sincerity. Are we speaking the truth? When you find yourself revisiting the same websites you said you would never go to, you start questioning whether you're even converted. Did I really get a change at GYC? A man came to me. In California last month and he said Sebastian last year at your, your sermon but now I made a commitment and you made an invitation to give victory over sin I was struggling with pornography and in response to that appeal I believed that Jesus could give me a but now experience. He says now haven't touched this stuff since I praise the Lord but this is what I say what do you do If you end up making a mistake and go back to pornography, do you begin to question your own sincerity? Or the second response is causes you to feel that God cannot accept you. You know, that's why many of us don't like to get involved. Hey, brother or sister, can you preach? And immediately what comes to the forefront of our minds, the sins that we committed that week. Oh, yeah, not this week. Not doing so holy this week. (laughs) But maybe if you catch me on a week where I actually did my devotions every day, I'll be ready to preach. Really? Let me encourage you for a moment. The Bible does not hide the mistakes of its heroes. David, Solomon, Peter, Paul... You look at these individuals and you understand something very clearly. Peter can be blessed by Jesus and rebuked by him within 10 minutes. You are the Christ, the son of the... Blessed are you, Peter. Lord, you're not going to the cross. Get thee behind me, Satan. I'm like, mercy. You just had a blessing from Jesus. Don't you know that's our daily experience? This experience that we go through, brothers and sisters, what happens when you come to that place and you've been messing up that week, falling short on your spiritual commitments, and then the call comes. Hey, sister, we'd like you to lead out in Sabbath school this week. All you're thinking in your mind is, I... Ah, I'm spiritually off right now. And you know what the problem is with that? You actually thought you were worthy because your devotion to life was consistent. Righteousness by works. You think God called you to teach Sabbath school because you're so spiritual? <laughs> you think he called you to preach that Sabbath because uh, you were so spiritually on point at that time? You know, God likes to use those moments for us. And the reason is, is because there's no danger, you'll take any glory to yourself. Not one ounce of it. Because when you come down and people are like, I was blessed. All you're thinking in your mind is, Lord have mercy. (laughs) And then I go home, and there was a sermon I preached one time. I felt so distant from the Lord. I went in my room and I just hid. Right after church. locked the door. Turned off my cell phone. And people are like, oh man, that sermon was so powerful. And in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, you have no idea. (laughs) Does somebody know what I'm talking about? Then we're in the right seminar. The Bible doesn't hide the mistakes of its heroes. It shows you that God uses faulty, failing, fumbling people. But you know why he continues to use them? Because they're committed. They go nowhere. I'm willing, Lord. Not because I feel worthy, but because you asked. That's where we get into what it means to be a slave of God. Now, what's the importance of this concept of the slave of God? Dr. Joseph Tosin, 1981, gave us... See, I'm a little too active. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. I'm just all over the place. My church family always make fun of my hands because they're like the size of half my body. So. Go ahead. So I'm always knocking things down. So, in the 20th century, this is what he says. In 20th century Christianity, we have replaced the expression total surrender with the word commitment, and slave with servant. But there is an important difference. A servant gives service to someone, but a slave belongs to someone. We commit ourselves to do something, but when we surrender ourselves to someone, we give ourselves up. This is a man, when he would go to events, he would say, can you introduce me as Dr. Joseph Tosin, a slave of God? And this was because of the NIV translation back in the 1970s. They were looking through how to translate the words in the Bible. And when they came across this word that we're going to look at in a little bit, one of the the Greek words is doulos. Can you say that word? Doulos. Doulos. And they noticed that according to Greek literature and other ways that it's used, the word actually means slave. But because of the stigma of the word slave, you know, you don't want to be a slave of God. This is like talking about the infilling of the Holy Spirit as being possessed by the Holy Spirit. You understand what I mean? When you think of possession, you don't think the spirit of God. Amen. That should have been a stronger amen, but it's okay. Maybe some of us are possessed by something else. (laughs) You don't think of yourself as being possessed by the Holy Spirit. You think of yourself of being filled with the Holy Spirit. By invitation. I emptied myself. So he would go around and challenge and right before he made these remarks he said, many people will not introduce me as a slave of God. Especially me being an African-American and understanding slavery in this country, what if I got up and said, introduce me as a slave of Jesus Christ? Yeah, you know, Brother Sebastian, down here in the South, things are still a little touchy. (laughs) And, you know, as a Caucasian, I don't want to get up and call you a slave. The slave who's speaking this morning... Do you see how the stigma has been created? But we don't want to interpret the word slave in the mindset of 18th century and 19th century history. We want to interpret it in the mind of Paul, of Peter, first century Christianity. Now, the metaphor of slavery in the New Testament, we need to first explain what a metaphor is. I don't assume anything, so I have to go through this. A metaphor is a figure of speech that describes one entity or realm of experience in terms borrowed from another. This is a very technical definition. You don't have to memorize it, but try to wrap your mind around it for a sec. Hopefully you didn't eat too much for lunch. Now let's go through an example of this. The moon was a gleaming coin. That's a metaphor. Now, the elements of which we're trying to compare the moon to a gleaming coin is one, the fact that they're both circular. That's the similarity. Another element is the fact that they're both shining from the word gleaming. And thirdly, it's from the fact that they're both small. Maybe the moon looked really small in the sky like a gleaming coin. Are you following me so far? Now what we don't mean is the fact that the moon is a, a means of currency or commerce. Are you understanding? There are certain things in the analogy, in the comparison that do not apply to the comparison. There's a hymn in our hymnal called Like Water to the Thirsty. Maybe you know that hymn, one of my favorites. When I actually first was released from my testimony I shared with you guys about being in jail last year, that was the first song I sang when I walked outside. Like sunrise to the day, so is my Lord. My living Lord, so is my Lord to me. Like water to the thirsty, like beauty to the eyes. So when you when you have these concepts, there are certain things that apply from the metaphor of slavery, and there are certain things that will not apply. And thus we want to go through that. So we saw the moon was a gleaming coin, they're both circular, shining, small. Now, slave of God. The first Aspect of the metaphor in the New Testament is the fact that it suggests exclusive ownership by the master. Number one. Exclusive ownership by the master. I will expect you to know these by the end of the seminar. So don't waft off and lean on your brother's shoulder. Number two. Total availability for the master's use. This is a slave we're talking about. Number three. Complete dependence on the master. Do you notice there's a word that's in every one of them? What word is it? Master. So it's three aspects of the master. But do you understand that the slave sees himself as a slave is a form of identity? Are you with me? He didn't make a commitment to his master. Are you understanding? It's not like he came back, which we will look at in a moment. But he said, look. As a slave, that's who I am. This, the, 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 fact, the idea of leaving is not an option in my mind. Now, for some, it may be depending on who your master is. But it suggests these three things in the New Testament. Now, I want to actually explore some of the verses that deal with what are the advantages of being a slave of God. Are you ready? And we'll see by the end of the seminar, if you're willing... Are you ready? All right. The first Greek word, I'm going to teach you guys some Greek today. I know some of you are like, that's Greek to me, and you're right. (laughs) Okay, this word is douloi, which is the plural form of doulos, okay? And theo is what we call God in Greek, okay? Theos. Now, are you ready? So, let's look at some verses that talk about slaves of God in the plural form In the Greek, all right? Let's go to Acts chapter 2, verse 18. Acts chapter 2, verse 18. You're going to have to move fast. We're going to be flipping through many verses. I didn't put them on the screen intentionally. We get these people who are people of the screen. Oh, yeah, I saw that verse on uh, the fifth slide. No, no, no. You need to see it in your Bible, amen? Amen. You don't know what people are talking about. You need to check them out by the word, amen? Amen. Acts 2 verse 18, the Bible says, and on my what? No, what should the word be? Slaves, very good. On my slaves, the Bible says, and on my handmaidens, I will pour out in those days of my spirit, and they shall what? Prophesy. Do you know where that prophecy comes from? Bible scholars. Whoa. You said what? Yes, Joel chapter 2. Now, Joel chapter 2, this is a prophecy that first of all talks about one of the verses we use to establish the spirit of prophecy. The fact that you expect some prophetic workings in the last days. I don't have time to get into that, different seminar. But we're talking about Pentecost and Peter is explaining to them what is happening here at Pentecost. And he says, do you know what this is? This is a fulfillment of... Of a Old Testament prophecy that in these days, God on his slaves, he could have used a different word. On his slaves, he will pour out his spirit. People who are not slaves, who are just people in a contractual relationship, bless this and then I'll continue to serve. I only go to mission fields where there's going to be some respect. I only go to mission fields if they have a nice, comfortable Hilton Hotel and beautiful beaches for me to visit Sabbath afternoon. Those are the only mission fields I choose. You are a servant. You're not a slave. A slave says, I go where my master tells me to go. It's not because the mission field is comfortable why I went. I don't get to choose where I serve. Now, let's look at Acts chapter 4, verse 29. Acts 4, verse 29. When you're there, say amen. Amen. It's only one page over. So if anyone says, have mercy. Acts 4, verse 29, the Bible says this. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy what? Slaves. Slaves. You're catching on quickly. Grant unto thy slaves that with all boldness they may do what? Speak thy word. Notice this is Peter and the apostles praying after they have just been beaten by the Sanhedrin for preaching the gospel. And they came back and said, when they saw the boldness of Peter, and I want you to follow this with me. Go back in Acts chapter 4, and I want you to look in verse 13 with me. Acts chapter 4, verse 13. The Bible says, now when they saw the what? I can't hear you. They saw the boldness of who? So there was boldness in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. After they are chastised, beaten, they come back and they pray and they say, Lord, grant to your servants boldness. What we just did wasn't enough. I want more boldness, Lord. And he said, your slaves. Grant unto your slaves people who are totally available for your use. People who are completely owned by you. People who are completely dependent upon you. As a slave, you own nothing. These individuals give us boldness. So when we saw James 2, you receive the what? I'm sorry, Acts chapter (laughs) 2, based on Joel. You received the Holy Spirit. Here we see what is God being asked to give his slaves? Boldness. All right, let's look at another one. Acts chapter 16. Acts 16, verse 17. Acts 16, verse 17, the Bible says, the same, this is talking about a woman, in verse 16, that as she went to prayer a certain damsel possessed with the spirit of divination met us which brought her masters such gain by Susane. the same followed paul and us and cried saying these men are the what slaves of the most high god which show unto us the what way of salvation Notice she addresses them, these are the slaves of the Most High God. Can you imagine the first time you read the Bible, it used the word slave? See, too many times we read these verses and it said servant. So we're like, oh yeah, yeah, the word servant is brushed over. But the word is actually slave. And here's a woman possessed by a demonic spirit. These are the slaves of the Most High God, which show the way of salvation. Let's keep going. Let's go to Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. I want you to notice who the revelation is written to. When you're there, say amen. The Bible says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him, to show unto his slaves. slaves. Wait till some of you arrive there. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him, that's Jesus, to show unto his slaves. That's who the book of Revelation is written to, but it gets a little deeper. You may be afraid of this one. Let's go to Revelation 7. Revelation 7. The Bible says here, Revelation chapter 7 and verse 3, are you there? Amen. All right, the Bible says saying, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees till we have sealed the... S- the what? Who is sealed in the last days? Slaves. Of God how serious is this do you understand a undergirding of commitment has been removed from you by the English word servants and we may study in our churches yeah you know the seal of God we need to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit we need to reproduce the character of Jesus in our lives All these things are true, but you must first stop and understand a sense of identity. Who is sealed is the question. Who is able to stand? When the Lamb comes, they are the slaves of God. Those are the only ones that are sealed. Not people who are fans, not supporters. Not people who just attend in the back of the seminar with no Bible, no intention of applying, just going for a social reason. Slaves of God. And GYC would be a completely different function if it was full of slaves of God. The messages wouldn't be radical enough. In order to go to the next level... We must start by changing our perspective of our relationship with Christ. To recognize that how to maintain commitment starts with understanding you didn't make any commitments, you were bought. Are you understanding that? You know when you're playing a sport. Help us Lord. I can preach but I can't put on my microphone. Help us, Lord. Now nah, I just forgot my train of thought. Yes, when you're playing sports. <laughs> I went to uh, play tennis, which I just started playing for the first time like eight months ago. <laughs> and I remember going to a, a tennis court one time with one of my missionaries. And while we were playing tennis, we were wrapping up. And then this guy came with his mom And he was like, oh, he just needs someone to practice with. So we're like, okay, no problem. And this guy does some stuff I've never seen on a tennis court. His hand's going like this, and the ball comes at you so fast, you don't have time to swing. And he's like, come on, just uh, go for the ball. I'm like, I can't even see the ball. (laughs) And so while we're out there, it's both of us versus him. (laughs) And I'm not going to tell you the score. But... (laughs) While we're out there trying to, you know, just give this guy, I guess, a body to be there so he can practice his serves, you see some people walking by, you know, the little cage where the tennis court is, and while we're sitting and walking by, you just see this guy just acing on us constantly. Boom, boom, the ball's just going on, and we have to go run around, collect all the balls, <laughs> throw them back to him, <laughs> and you see this kid walking by, and he just... He's just looking and he's watching us getting completely demolished. And all you can see is he's like, man, that guy just got owned. I'm like, what? I didn't even realize people use that terminology. So there's this new terminology, I guess, in sports that when you get beat severely, they say, you just got owned. I'm like, owned? Yeah, he owns you. <laughs> I'm not following you. <laughs> But now understand, what they're trying to say is, (laughs) you work for him. (laughs) You stand there while he practices. (laughs) You got owned. (laughs) So you have in this same sense, brothers and sisters, that there are two powers contending. We're not a match for either. So you can either be owned by the devil or you, you can be owned by Jesus. But we have to completely revolutionize our understanding of who we are. Who we are. I'm going to take you through a couple more texts and then I want to jump to my conclusion. Not sure exactly how much time I have left, but I'm going to work with what I have. Let's go to the book of Galatians, chapter one. Galatians chapter one. When you're there, say Amen? Awesome. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to look at verse 10. What verse? What chapter? What book? It's for your neighbor who may be asking you. (laughs) What book did he say? What chapter? The Bible says in verse 10, this is Paul talking, For do I now persuade men, or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the slave of Christ. If you live to please men, you are not a slave of Christ. Now that means that life then becomes a division in the church. There are people who live to please men, they're not slaves of Jesus. And there are people who live to please God. And Paul says, if I started focusing my life, If I started focusing my energy, my ministry, what I do and what I don't do based upon what pleases men, and it doesn't qualify, mom and dad are included, young people. You're not a slave of mom. Amen. Amen. We're not a slave of dad. Some parents may think that. It's true. I used to clean the house (laughs) like a slave. Cinderella was like my autobiography. It's like, (laughs) this is how you feel sometimes. As a slave of Jesus. But the issue is, I'm not a slave of my boss. He tells me I need to come in on Sabbath. I'm not your slave. I don't belong to you. Are you understanding? You don't belong to the University of Massachusetts. You don't belong to Southern Adventist University. You don't belong to your grandmother. You don't belong to your pastor or your conference president. There's only one person who bought you. You weren't redeemed with corruptible things. As of silver and gold, but by the blood. That means, because you were bought, you are a slave. There's only two kinds of people that are bought and sold. Slaves and prostitutes. We're not prostitutes. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Slaves. It's in the Bible. Know ye not that you were bought with a price? That you are not your own. Those eyes are not yours to watch whatever you want to watch on TV. Come on, we're going to get into the specifics now. My hands were not meant to touch her in that way. They're not your hands. Those aren't your lips to be kissing this person. Amen. 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 Those are not your feet to walk that way. Those are not your thoughts, your mind. Listen to me. Completely owned completely dependent and completely available for the master's use. If a master tells his slave, go build a barn, the slave can't come back and say, hey, master, you know, I don't have a degree in carpentry or architecture. (laughs) The master will say, I didn't ask you if you had a degree. I asked you to build a barn. If Jesus says, I want you to go to Togo, To be a missionary, you don't say, Lord, I never preached before. I didn't ask you if you preached. I asked you to go to Togo and spread the gospel. If the Lord tells you, look, sister, I want you to go to this university and I want you to start a movement. Lord, I'm not a leader. I didn't ask you if you were a leader. You are a slave of God. This is not an issue of, oh, a contractual commitment. It is an identity and an understanding of who you are. This also applies to trials and difficulties. Some of us are weak and feeble in our ability to handle problems in life. Soon as an issue comes, we're not sure if the Lord is in our favor. Do you understand if you get damaged, you're his property? Are you with me? There there wasn't enough amens. Let me explain something to you. I told you guys the story last year about my brother and my shoes. $165 shoes. Now, at the time, that was expensive. I'm recognizing are shoes are like $400 nowadays. I can't comprehend that. <laughs> Not for shoes. But the reason why I was so angry was because I bought them. Are you understanding? So when I buy something and I lend it to someone else, I'm very concerned about how it's treated. Are you understanding? If I go out and buy a car, I'm very concerned about how it's treated, what kind of gas you put in it, what you're driving it for, and just the risk that you could get in an accident. So immediately, you know, hey, can I borrow your car? My mind starts computing your driving abilities. Mm, you, You seem a little like a speeder. I don't think this is a good idea. Why? Because of the risk. Now I want you to understand. Follow me now. I gave my only begotten son for you. You think I'm going to put you in the way of harm? You think I'm going to let you go into a situation where you're going to be injured? I paid too much to let you go down in some nonsense. Listen to me, you could be walking the streets of Baltimore, 10 criminals per block. You're too expensive. This is why not only would he not let something happen, but he would caution you, do not put what is so expensive to me in the way of danger. Why would you take what I've spent so much money on? You know, in the family, (laughs) my aunt, my aunt Judy has like a room that is only for guests. The furniture is covered with plastic. (laughs) And then she has a cabinet full of plates that are only used for two holidays a year. Now you're like, because she has set it aside for this purpose. Now if you roll up in there, take your Boca burger, ketchup, mustard, and then grab one of those plates and plop yourself down in the living room. If you live. (laughs) If you live to tell the story. She would look at you and say, do you know how much I paid for those plates? I didn't buy those plates so you could eat burgers on them. Now that's a trivial example to try to establish something in our minds. When Jesus looks at you, He paid so much for you. I want you to track this with me. If I pay so much for something, it only could be used for something very, very, very important. I'm going to make a statement from the Desire of Ages. It brings grief to the heart of God. When we place a low estimate upon ourselves. I'm going to say that one more time. It brings grief to the heart of God. That we place such a low estimate upon ourselves. What would make you think you're only good to make scripture reading? When I sent my only begotten son for you. Are you following what I'm saying? If we were that expensive, now are you with me, right? If I told you, you ever been to Neiman Marcus or one of these expensive stores? You know, Saks Fifth Avenue, whatever, they, whatever they're called. I can't even step foot in there. It, like, costs money just to walk through the door. <laughs> Put a quarter in. <laughs> then you walk in the door, the first rack are the socks and the scarves. Now, I remember going in there with my mom. And me and my brothers were looking, oh, wow, these are some nice socks, you know. We're just touching, I mean, we didn't know about cashmere and all this other stuff. So we start messing around with these socks, and I'm like, my, you know, I should get these socks, you know, whatever, whatever, flip over the tag. $350. I'm like, is there a massager in here? <laughs> are you understanding? Like, if you paid 300, if I told you I paid $350 for these socks I'm wearing right now, many of you would be like, we need to pray for you to repent. <laughs> You're wasting the Lord's money. That's not proper. $300 for socks? $300 is a missionary ticket to go somewhere. Are you understanding? So what do you think angels think when they come to you and they turn you over and they say price tag is the blood of Jesus? What does this thing come with? How can this thing be so expensive? There must be some use. There must be something contained, and it's not false, brothers and sisters. And it's not a joke, brothers and sisters. And it's not just fluff and rah-rah language to say what I'm saying. The Lord sees in you something you do not see. If you heard Justin's message last night, Jesus did not consider heaven a place to be desired while you were not there. You got to process that. I don't want to be in heaven if you're not there. It's not even desirable to me. Who cares that I'm in glory if I can't have you? And this is how he feels about his slaves. Exodus 21. What's the time? (laughs) Don't ever say that to a speaker. (laughs) You'll be up all night. 419? All right, I'm slightly over, so I'm going to end here. Exodus 21. Are you there? Now, I want you to notice this. The Bible says in Exodus 21, in verse 2, if thou buy an Hebrew servant, now you know that's a slave, six years he shall serve, and in the seventh, he shall go out free for nothing. If he came in by himself, he shall go out by himself. If he were married, then his wife shall go out with him. If his master have given him a wife and she have borne him sons or daughters and the wife and her children shall be her masters and he shall go out by himself. And if the servant shall plainly say, now I'm going to pause here for a moment. The slave had to be purchased because he had a debt he could not pay. And the way it worked in the Hebrew economy is the fact that if you can't pay me, then I'm going to buy you for what you owe. And you will serve six years to pay off your debt. That'd be great if you could do that for college. (laughs) Except I'd be serving until I die. (laughs) So you come in, you serve me, and then we have what's called a sabbatical year. What is it called? Sabbatical year. And in the seventh year, if you're a slave, you go out free, owing nothing, no matter what. Now, you understand, you could be a bad slave, you could be a good slave, but this is how God set it up. And he says, when it's time to go out, whatever you gained while you were serving your master belongs to your master. Are you with me? Whatever he gained while serving his master belongs to his master. Whatever he came in with is what he leaves with. The Bible continues to say in verse 5, And if the servant shall plainly say, I love, My master, notice who else he loves. My wife, who else does he love? My children. I will not go out free. Then his master shall bring him unto the judges. And he shall also bring him to the door or unto the doorpost. And his master shall bore his ear through with an awl. And he shall serve him. How long? forever. The Bible gives us an illustration. We were purchased by Jesus. You're owned by Christ whether you want to be or not. He already bought you. Now, the the, the challenge comes in is the same point that this slave comes to. And the point that he comes to is, you know what? You can always leave Jesus. You're always free to go now. And the question is, what does the slave do? But here's the stipulation. Whatever you gained in the service of the master belongs to him. And so he says, but if the servant says... In his mind, listen to these words. I love my master. First. Out of love for my master, love for my wife, love for my children, I will not go free. I would rather be a slave with my wife, a slave with my children a slave with my master. This is the place that I want to bring you to right now. You're always free to leave Jesus. The only reason you should stay Is because you love your master. There is a study. And then I'm going to tell a story. And then it will be done. There is a study that showed that 96% of American women, 86% of American men, would not marry a person that had every single quality they looked for in the person if they did not love them. I want you to think about this. If you have every single quality, 85% and up say, I will never marry you. Why? Because I don't love you. Even though the person has everything on paper. Now, my suspicion is I could get up here and tell you the glories of Jesus on paper. I could give you every single quality. How can you not love Jesus? He upholds all things. How can you not love him? He died for you. He gave his life for you. In him are hid all the treasures of knowledge and wisdom. Let's list it compared to Buddha, compared to Muhammad. Does that make you want to stay? No, it won't even convince you to marry someone. How much more is someone you can't see? Someone who doesn't give you a hug when you get home. Someone who doesn't cook dinner for you. Jesus could have every single quality. And some of us are sticking around because it's logical. You won't make it. Like Tondo said, where else can we go? You won't make it. Love is the only thing that endures all things. This is my story. A gentleman was at the beach with his son. And while he was at the beach with his son, his son loves to collect shells. And while they were there, they saw a starfish at the beach. And so he said, hey, son, go grab the starfish. And his son kind of ran up a little bit and then turned around. So he thought, maybe my son's a little afraid. So he said, it's okay, son, you can do this. Go get the starfish. His son ran up a little bit farther. Then he came back. Son, what's wrong? You can do this. And he's thinking to himself, come on, son, you can make it. Just go ahead, grab the starfish. So his son went a third time. He was right on top of the starfish. Didn't pick it up. Came back, and while he was walking back, his, he was just thinking in his mind, my son's going to be a wimp for the rest of his life. <laughs> he's never going to be able to achieve anything. And he pulled the son aside. He said, son, why didn't you get the starfish? What was wrong? Were you afraid? He said, no. So why didn't you grab the starfish? He says, because I had shells in my hand. And the dad said he learned a valuable lesson. And the lesson that he had learned was, when my son had already said yes to the shells, it never entered his mind to give up the shells to pick up the starfish. In his mind, I just can't do it. And so before we continue in the morning, this is the note I want to end on. Being a slave of God is coming to Jesus saying, yes, Lord. And now that my hands are filled with Jesus, someone says, hey, go get this. You look at your hands. I already have Christ. I have one master. And I love my master. And I love my wife. And I love my children. And I love my church. Therefore, I will not go out free. I will serve him forever. A slave of God. Every head is bowed. Every eye is closed. Perhaps this afternoon the Lord has touched your heart. And you recognize you recognize that you've been dealing with just decisions. But now you're ready to make a commitment, not to Christ, but to a particular identity. If you're ready to say this morning, this afternoon, I'm ready to be a slave of God. I'm ready to say with this Hebrew slave, as I reflect in my mind at this moment, do I love my master? Therefore, I completely belong to him. I'm completely available for his use. And I am completely dependent upon him. If you're ready to say yes, Lord, I just want to invite you to stand as we pray. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm ready to say yes, Lord. I am a slave of God. Completely owned. Completely available. Completely dependent upon him. Heavenly Father, these children of God, are standing with me this afternoon simply to say that like this Hebrew slave, seeing that God pours out his spirit on his slaves, seeing that God grants boldness Seeing that the revelation of Jesus Christ is given to Jesus to show unto his slaves. Seeing that those who will be sealed in the last days are slaves of God. Lord, we are making a decision to be slaves not because we want to be sealed. Not because we just want to receive your Holy Spirit. Not because We're we're just interested in appearing to be dedicated. But because we love our master. And even though we are free to go. We choose to stay. Guide us Lord throughout the rest of this conference and throughout this night until we meet again in the morning. To continue to study how to maintain commitment to Jesus till we die. This is our prayer, and we trust that you'll help this to be our experience. For we ask in Jesus' name, amen.
0: This message was produced by GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. GYC seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians in contemporary contexts. To download or purchase other resources like this, or if you have been blessed by GYC and would like to donate, visit GYCWeb.org or email info at GYCWeb.org. You could also reach us via mail at P.O. Box 3786 3786- Ann Arbor, Michigan 48106. This recording is licensed under Creative Commons. This means you can copy and share it with anyone you like. Please attribute this recording to GYC wherever you reuse it, and keep in mind that resale and alteration are strictly prohibited.